page 991, and I'll be looking at specifically verse 5 in the sermon. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul gives the authority by which he writes this. It's by command of God our Savior, Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. You notice the closeness Paul felt to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This, brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord God in heaven, for your holy word. We pray that you would bless us in hearing and thinking. We pray, Father, that you would smile upon this church and our, this installation and recognition service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I really want to look at primarily verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Brothers and sisters, we're, this is a very important time in our church, in our church's life. Year after year as we do these kinds of things where we ordain or we install elders and deacons. We're reinstalling a proven deacon. We're reinstalling actually two proven elders as well. And we're also recognizing women's ministry leaders and our Sunday school teachers. And in the midst of all the celebration, we need to step back a moment momentarily and think through the who, the what, and the why. The who, the what, and the why for all of these. Now, as you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, you may be thinking, why is Pastor Mike using a passage that was written to a pastor about being a pastor, about his pastoral ministry, when what we're doing this evening is installing elders and deacons and recognizing ministry leaders and and Sunday school teachers? Well, that's a great question. It has to do with the fact that Timothy was all of those things as a pastor. Timothy was a teacher. So in chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things, Paul told him. But he was also a diakonos, a deacon, a servant, or a minister. And so in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, and chapter 4, verse 6, he's a good diakonos, a good servant of Christ Jesus. He was also a, a, a good servant, a doulos, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, 4, a doulos of the Lord. And so he fulfilled many of those things as a pastor. So it's very fitting to actually look at Timothy because it fits all of these different roles we're looking at today. And so Paul's direction to Timothy was not just for the pastor, but it colors all of his ministry and it filters out to any other places, uh, any others who are placed in positions of service and then it goes on out into the congregation itself. And so let's address the who, the what, and the why. The who. The reason for servants in the church. Notice as you look at chapter 1, verse 5, the aim of our charge 
There's a reason here for the servants of the church. There's the aim of our charge. Anybody ever done bow, use a bow and arrow? Yeah. So you aim, or maybe you use a rifle. You aim. That means you're not planning to sit here with the bow or sit here with the rifle. You're actually, you have a target in mind, right? So the aim of our charge, the target of our charge. But notice he talks about the charge, the aim of our charge, the charge that I gave you. What charge is that? Well, go back to verse 3. That I left you in Ephesus that you may charge certain persons to not do two things. To not teach any different doctrine, number one. And number two, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, alt news, and all those things that promote speculation, but stir people or steer people away from the stewardship from God that is by faith. And so there's a, that's kind of a negative statement. But there's a charge here, and the charge is to help Ephesus remain a healthy church. And so he's going to have to, Timothy's going to have to convince people not to teach different doctrines and not to go off and get lost in the weeds out in the woods. So there's the charge, and now he's getting to the point where he's talking about here's the aim. Here's what we're aiming at as we gave that charge. So my point is this, when you think about the who is that none of these who are Sunday school teachers or women's ministry leaders or when we get to deacons or elders, none of these are status symbols. None of these are figureheads. But they are those who will take seriously the gravity of their role in the church. For example, deacons, Wes just read a minute ago from chapter 3. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There's a gravity to it, and they take it seriously. Or as Paul will say over in Romans 12, when he's talking, I'm going to quote Romans 12 several times, because he's talking about the variety of gifts. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if service in serving, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's a there's a, they take seriously the gravity of their role in the church as deacons. The same with elders. The same with elders. If you look over at chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you can't miss the gravity. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. An, officer, off, uh, an overseer must be above reproach. A one-man woman, or a one-woman man, excuse me, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into, any, into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. The same when you get to Romans 12 as it talks about the gifts of being an elder. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, the one who leads with zeal. And so even those who become elders take seriously the gravity of their role. It's not uh, something you can just take and leave as you want. There's a gravity to it. The same thing with our Sunday school teachers. Teaching is an extremely important position in our church and, and, and in God's church. It's extremely significant. And so Paul in Romans 12 mentions it. Having gifts that differ than the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. They take seriously the gravity of their role. 
The same with women's ministry leaders. Having gifts that differ, then what do they do? Well, if service, they serve. If if they lead with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, they each take the seriousness of the role, uh, take seriously the gravity of the role. Each of these takes their responsibility seriously and takes it to heart. doesn't mean they're all grumpy and sour, but it means they take it seriously. It's a biblical pattern. Now, why do I bring that up? Because what it means is, is you do not ever put someone in a role, a place of responsibility, so that you can get them to become responsible. I remember being at a church one time where I remember in a session meeting, the elders said, well, maybe we need to make so-and-so a deacon so he'll start coming to church every Sunday. Fail. They already take seriously the gravity of the role And that shows that they have these gifts so that they can fit into those responsibilities. Does that make sense? And so that's the who. You appoint the folks who are already taking their roles to heart. So that's the who, but what uh, are they to be known for? Now we move to the what. So in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, you hear the what. The aim of our charge is love. Aim of our charge. Here's the target. The aim of our charge is love. So what kind of love are servants of Christ supposed to be to to drive toward and to work from? He tells you the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I told you this before, but I remember one time when we were in Texas, we went to New Braunfels, Texas, and there's an aquifer underneath for acres and thousands upon acres under the surface. It's called the Edwards Aquifer. You can't see it anywhere except when you get to New Braunfels where it breaks out, right? Everywhere else, it's under the surface so far underneath you would never even know it was there. What you see above on surface it's just scrub trees and houses and businesses and roads. But underneath all of that, this is Edwards Aquifer. And from that source then, you would, when you finally see the Edwards Aquifer, is when you go to New Braunfels and there it is breaking out at thousands of gallons of pure crystal clear water just gushing out of the aquifer. That's the language Paul is using. The name of our charge is love that issues from the aquifer. What's the aquifer? Love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's exactly what it's to be. Love that actually flows out of these things. So obviously this love is a Godward love. No one should ever forget that, but I think that's important to say because that's what keeps someone in that position keeps them strong and keeps them going is this Godward love. As our Lord Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The name of this charge is love. It's a Godward love, but it's also a church word love. Church word, W-A-R-D. I'm from Oklahoma, so we still talk about wash rags, you know. Yeah, (laughs) a church word love. And so Jesus goes on to say, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. And so that's our Lord Jesus' own command. He tells us, I mentioned it this morning in the sermon from John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
just as I have loved you, that you love one another, by this all the world will know that you are my disciples. Every one of these roles exhibits and, and, and has this love issuing, gushing forth from a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith, a Godward love, and a churchward love. That means then that this love is shown by the ways that are lawful. Love is always lawful. Real love is always lawful, never lawless. I'm going to say it again. True love is always lawful and never lawless. I think that needs to be shouted from the mountaintop sometimes, especially in Christian circles. But Paul says in Romans 13, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. True love is never lawless, but it is always lawful. And that's the love that they're exhibiting this love that is flowing out of that aquifer of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so these who, these who are being uh, installed as deacon and elders, those who are women's ministry leaders, those who are Sunday school teachers, these are those who serve out of love. Love for God and love for you. Let me say it again. They serve out of love for God and out of love for you. That's pretty big. But then comes the why. Why are they to serve from this three-source love? Because it's God's own way. It's God's own desire. It's actually God's own image. I'm, I'm always amazed when I get to 1 John, how often John, when he's urging us to show this Christian love to one another, how often he puts God at the center, that this is the way God is. For example, 1 John 3.16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Anybody remember those old Maranatha days, late 1970s, early 1980s? There was a great Bible song, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love, God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, something like that, right? All right, and then, then just the, the normal one, 1 John four nineteen. we love because why? He first loved us. Do you see that? Here's the, here's the why. Here's the why of this three-source love. Because it's God's own way. It's God's own desire. It's God's own image. And so, as they serve, as deacons serve, as elders serve, as te- Sunday school teachers serve, as women's li- ministry leaders serve, it's an exhibition of this, this deep, rich love of God himself for us. It should always encourage us in that regard. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only, only faith working through love. I think the best way to summarize this whole sermon, as you think about 1 Timothy 1.5, 1 
The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A good way to summarize this is found in the words of James Montgomery Boyce. In his devotional guide that was made of his sermons called Come to the Waters. And as he was thinking about John 17 that I mentioned this morning in the sermon, he says this. Express love in relation to God and man, and what do you find? You find all the other marks of the church following. What does love for God the Father lead to? Joy. Because we rejoice in God and in what He has so overwhelmingly done for us. What does love for the Lord Jesus Christ lead to? Holiness. Because we know that we will see Him one day and we will be like Him. Therefore, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What does love for the Word of God lead to? Truth. Because if we love the Word, we will study it and therefore inevitably grow into a fuller appreciation and realization of God's truth. What does love for the world lead to? Mission. We have a message to take to the world. Again, where does love for our Christian brothers and sisters lead us? To unity. Because by love we discern that we are bound together in that bundle of life that God himself has created within the Christian community. And that's the end of the quotation. It's a beautiful summarization. And so here, my friends, are the who, the what, and the why for these servants of the church. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you just rehearsing our way through this and working our way through it, just being reminded again of your deep, deep love for us and in your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And all of our life, reflecting that same love that you had toward us, reflecting it outward toward one another. We thank you for those in our church who are stepping up to serve as Sunday school teachers, women's ministry leaders, as deacon, as elders. We thank you for all of them and for all the others that um, we think of who serve quietly in this church. How often it really does lift up our hearts. We pray for all of our folks who are publicly involved in serving and for all of us. That we would hear Paul's words and take them to heart. That The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.